Sunshine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. South Africa's ruling ANC refutes claims of a plot to unseat President Sul Ramaphosa. And U.S. Senate delegation concludes visit to Zimbabwe. In economics news, concerns over rising debt levels in southern Africa and in sports news, Team South Africa expects another medal from the men's 100-meter final. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Africa. Rise and shine. Africa. Zorba. Africa. Amuka na unai. A very good morning to you, um, Anne Moussa. Dozens of Sudanese soldiers uh, fighting for the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen are reported to have been killed by Houthi rebels. This is believed to be the biggest loss of Sudanese troops in Yemen who have been deployed there since 2015. There has been no comment so far from Sudan. The BBC's Mary Harper has the details. Yemeni military officials said the Sudanese troops were lured into a trap by the Houthis in the northern province of Hajar. It's not the only African country involved in the conflict. United Nations monitors say hundreds of Eritrean troops are involved. The United Arab Emirates, also part of the Saudi coalition, has a military base in the Eritrean port of Asab and is building one in the self-declared Republic of Somaliland. Both are conveniently close to Yemen. The United States President Donald Trump has blamed Russian President Vladimir Putin, Syria's President Bashar al-Assad and Iran for an alleged chemical weapons attack in Doma, east of Syria. The attack has reportedly claimed more than 40 lives, including many children, while others put the death toll at over 80. President Trump tweeted that there would be a big price to pay. Sharon Bryce Peace reports from New York. Trump also laid into his predecessor, former President Barack Obama, for not taking military action when his then much-publicized red line on chemical weapons use in Syria was crossed. Syria's government has called the attack a fabrication as its troops encircled the town. Syrian activist groups have indicated a toxic gas inside barrel bombs were dropped from helicopters over the rebel-held city, killing dozens of civilians and wounding many more. Harrowing images and video footage of dead children foaming at their mouths have gone viral on social media, symptoms consistent with nerve or mixed nerve and chlorine gas exposure. The national chairperson of South Africa's ruling ANC, Gwede Mantasha, has refuted claims that there's a plot by some in the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal province led by former President Jacob Zuma to unseat the current leadership of President Cyril Ramaphosa. Media reports have suggested that Zuma, who was forced to resign and as president of the country by the newly elected National Executive Committee, is allegedly out to get his revenge. Speaking on the sidelines of the party's volunteer law, 
wants to prepare for the 2019 general elections held in Rustenburg in the northwest province. Mantashe says they are in constant communication with the party's KwaZulu-Natal structures. Now there is no such a report from KZN. Uh, I, I don't take issues that do not come from structures. No structure of the ANC in KZN has even talked about unseating Ramaphosa. Ramaphosa is elected by conference as the president of the ANC. He's not a provincial president. He's the president of the ANC in nine provinces. So no one province will say, will unseat the president. It's an emotional feeling. And actually, it's a function of tribal mobilization that will be dangerous in the long term. United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees Filippo Grandi has promised to find ways to address food issues facing Congolese refugees in Rwanda by engaging with other partners. He says there's a need to further empower Rwandan government efforts to help refugees. Grandi, who arrived in Rwanda from the Democratic Republic of Congo, is expected to travel on to Burundi and Tanzania before winding down the trip. His visit followed protests at Kziba refugee camp in Karonji district in Western Rwanda, which hosts thousands of DRC refugees over reduced food rations. And finally, the United Nations says hundreds of thousands of Rohingya Muslims are still unable to safely return to Western Myanmar after fleeing to neighboring Bangladesh. The World Body's Assistant Secretary General Ursula Mueller was speaking after a trip to Rakhine State. The BBC's Nick Beaker reports. The UN Assistant Secretary General was briefly shown the accommodation being prepared in Rakhine State and concluded conditions were still not conducive for a dignified and sustainable return of refugees. The UN is also concerned about an estimated 400,000 Rohingya Muslims still in Rakhine, despite the military crackdown. Ms Muller met Myanmar's de facto leader during her trip. She said Ms Suu Kyi explained that her goal was for social reconciliation in Myanmar. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's ruling African National Congress in KwaZulu-Natal has dismissed reports suggesting secret talks are taking place to split the party's vote in next year's general elections in order to frustrate President Sul Ramaphosa. The plot is said to have been hatched by loyalists of former President Jacob Zuma in the province. The unconfirmed reports further suggest that those involved are considering voting for the ANC in the province but giving their national votes to another political party. Nonjabulum Dunga reports. Coordinator for the ANC's interim committee in KwaZulu-Natal, Sihlizigalala, has distanced the provincial leadership from being involved in a plot to spite President Cyril Ramaphosa. Unconfirmed media reports suggest that loyalists of former President Jacob Zuma in the province are opposed to the new national leadership. According to the reports, the group is planning to split the vote by voting for the ANC in the province 
but for another political party nationally. It has been suggested that those involved are the leaders who showed their support for Zuma during his appearance in the Durban High Court last Friday. Sigalala has described the reports as fabrications aimed at causing disunity in the province. He says the province has full confidence in the party's national leadership. No one will ever support the ANC when the ANC itself is divided. And that is what the leadership of the ANC at a national level led by President Ramaphosa has been emphasizing. Unity, unity, unity. And for that, we believe that these rumors are just rumors. And we can't play into rumors as the ANC. We need to consolidate the support of the ANC and win elections. In KwaZulu-Natal, I haven't heard of anyone proposing or even echoing a view of voting for anyone except consolidating unity and ensure that there is support for the ANC comes general elections. The Guasulu Natal leadership was suspended by the ANC NEC in December after a court ruling which nullified the 2015 elective conference. An interim structure was set up to prepare for the provincial conference. Segalala dismissed allegations that he is one of the leaders who do not support Ramaphosa. He says the party is focused on unity so it can regain its strength in the 2019 elections. I've worked with Cobra Cyril. And I'll continue to work with him as the president of the ANC. I think we enjoy his support as the province and we always ensure that we support him as the leader of the ANC. And I've got full confidence that he is going to implement the direction and the resolutions of the ANC. Political analyst Begim Gomezulu believes there could be truth to these claims, considering the squabbles within the party provincially. He says this could hurt the ANC in 2019 elections. Uh, it's true that uh, the majority uh, of people in Guazulu Natal, ANC members in particular, but also non-ANC members, they are not happy about the manner in which then President Zuma is being treated. So then they are saying, out of anger, they would then rather not vote or vote with the opposition. So if that happens, then it means the ANC uh, will suffer, especially given that uh, it has not regained the support it lost before 2016. Meanwhile, the ANC in the province says it is engaging with its structures about an elective conference which is expected to be held before the end of May. I'm Nanjabulom Tungwa in Durban. South Africa's ruling ANC national chairperson Gwede Mandashe has refuted claims that there are efforts by some in the ANC in the Guazulu-Natal province led by former President Jacob Zuma to unseat the current leadership of President Sul Ramaphosa. Media reports have suggested that Zuma, who was forced to resign as state president by the new National Executive Committee or face impeachment, is allegedly out to get revenge. Speaking in Rustenburg, Mandashe acknowledged that the second term of President Jacob Zuma was one of the worst periods in the movement and call for unity. Lucas Mutibedi reports. Mandashe made his address to only a handful of party members at the launch of the province's volunteer program in Rustenburg to prepare for next year's general elections. He has strongly refuted claims that there are plans by former President Jacob Zuma's supporters, led by former Kozul Natal chairperson Sikesi Galala, to topple President Ramaphosa. Now there is no such a report from KZN. No structure of the ANC in KZN has even talked about unseating Ramaphosa. Ramaphosa is elected by conference as the president of the ANC. It's not a provincial 
president. So no one province will say will unseat the president. It's an emotional feeling and actually it's a function of tribal mobilization that will be dangerous in the long term. While none of the ANC's provincial and regional leaders showed up at the launch, Mantasha did not let this one slide. Rustenburg is one of the few regions considered to be riven by deep-rooted factions. Evidence to this was the move by some branches here to take the PEC to court for allegedly establishing parallel structures ahead of the national elective conference last year. While calling for unity, Mantashe told party members that he is aware that there is a great disunity among members in the province, including the alliance partners. They're not here. It's short-sightedness. That's how I can describe it. Because when you are leading, you lead those who agree with you and those who disagree with you. Actually, the PEC of the Northwest should have been here. The, the RTT should have been here because they have been notified, but they have not come. SACP Provincial Chairperson Smart Martin says they will support the ANC in the next year's general election, but only in a reconfigured alliance. We support the launching a program of getting volunteers to secure a victory in 2019. Mantasha has also promised that the top six of the party will visit all provinces to seek unity among members ahead of next year's elections. Lugas Motibedi, SABC, Rustenbeck in the Northwest. Musi Maimani has been re-elected as leader of South Africa's main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, at the party's elective congress held in Pretoria over the weekend. Ethel Trollope has been re-elected as federal chairperson, and James South is the federal council chairperson. Michael Waters, Ivan Mayer, and Rufilwe Nseke are the three deputy federal chairpersons, while Dion George has been elected as the federal finance chairperson. More than 50 resolutions, including the diversity clause, were also adopted during the DA's two-day conference. Abongile Dumako reports. The leader of the DA has been elected unopposed and therefore unanimously, Musi Maimani. Celebrations as the Democratic Alliance presents its new leadership during its two-day congress at the Tswane Invest Center in Pretoria over the weekend. As expected, Musi Maimane was nominated unopposed and he will lead the DA for another three years. He is taking the leadership role during a critical time in South African politics as the country gears up for the important national elections next year. He is confident. As many as somebody has once said, we've only just begun. And that's why this Congress made a number of very important decisions. The decision you took here at Congress to include the value of diversity is an important one and I want to thank you because the future of this organization is a continuation of ensuring that this organization that is beautiful, that is diverse, that does not allow itself to be defined by race classification, but that the rights of individuals stand is an important value and a value we will hand over to future generations. Is Ethel Trollope. Nelson Mandela Bay Mayor Ethel Trollope has been re-elected federal chairperson, a position which was also contested by Tswane Mayor Solim Simanga. 
but the DA leadership drawn criticism with some saying it does not reflect South Africa's demographics and that it is male-dominated. This after Rifil Wenzeke, one of the three deputy federal chairpersons, was the only female in the top six of the party. But Nzeke says she is not bothered by being one female among men. I'm very comfortable that I'm chosen by black, whites and Indians to serve as one of the leaders of the organization. So I'm not particularly worried that I'm a black female because the people who selected me, for me to have white people saying, I believe you're competent and want you to serve again. Colored people saying the same thing, Indian people saying the same thing, including my fellow black colleagues saying the same thing. It's an honor. That was Rifil Wenseke, DA Deputy Federal Chairperson, and I'm Abongile Dumago in Pretoria. A celebration to mark the official recognition of the Balobedu Queenship was held on Saturday at Mokwaiikwaila Village in South Africa's Limpopo province. It attracted political heavyweights, royal delegates, church leaders and guests from abroad. They include South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa, former President Jacob Zuma, King Mpepu Ramabulana and ZCC Bishop Banabas Lekhanyane. The queenship was restored in 2016 after being demoted by the past regime. It is the country's first queenship. Shibu Mamokere reports. Hundreds of Balobedu flocked to Mukwakwaila to finally celebrate their queenship status after years of fighting for recognition. The Balobedu originate in Zimbabwe and have lived at Ramujaji for almost four centuries. It is traditionally accepted that the tribe is ruled by females. The queen is believed to possess the power to make it rain. The last reign queen, Makoba Mujaji VI, died in 2005. She left two children, including a daughter, Masala Nabo, who was six months old at the time. The girl will become Queen Mujaji VII in the future. During his keynote address, President Cyril Ramaphosa tried his luck in speaking the Kilobedu language, much to the amusement of the crowd. He says the recognition shows government's commitment to restore the dignity of the Balobedu. He has also praised the late Queen Mukupe Mujaji V who fought against the apartheid regime. Now this is a really historic occasion and we are also privileged to have been given the opportunity to participate in such an occasion. Queen Mujaji kept the flame of freedom alive at the height of apartheid repression. She suffered persecution, she suffered humiliation and severe harassment, but remained resolute in her quest for freedom. 
The young Masalanabo also made a rare public appearance and sat next to her uncle, current regent Mpapata Mujaji. Mujaji has appealed to community members to support the royal family. The colonial government took away the rightful royal status of many nations and ours was demoted. But today it has been restored. It is up to us to unite and support our queenship. We should also lay a good foundation for the future queen. Bavenda King Tony Mpepura Mabulana has also congratulated the Balobedu. He says the Chivenda and Kilobedu cultures are closely related and go back centuries. The relationship between my kingdom and the queenship of Mjaji is of blood. It is not a relationship defined by geographical proximity. It is also not a relationship of convenience. It is simply one that is recorded in the books of history. The closeness of Kilaveru and Chivenda languages and culture are not accidental. Some community members have also expressed their happiness. We are so glad that uh, for the very, very first time in the history of South Africa, our queen will get that status. It's an indication that our country, our democratically elected government can listen here the plea of the people. We are all happy. We are all proud of our reign queen, the only reign queen in the country. Meanwhile, President Ramaphosa has assured the Balobedu that government has had their cry to have the Kilobedu language recognized as an official language. I'm Shibu Mamukhere at Mukwakwaila in Bulobedu. Nigerians from different walks of life have been speaking on the life and times of the late anti-apartheid stalwart Mamawini Matigizela Mandel. While some see her as one who gave her all to ensure that South Africa walked in the path of equality for all, others believe that apart from being a devoted mother, her astute devotion to the struggle is worthy of emulation and would be remembered for her good works. Channel Africa's Collins Atohengbe reports from Lagos. She struggled, she contributed, but that we got the independence for South Africa or the freedom the South Africa nation. Got these two independence they require was because this woman was deeply involved in it. Inclusiveness is one word that binds all those who disregarded their individual comforts and career to channel their strength into the liberation movement that brought an end to the minority regime in South Africa. As noted there by the chairman of the Vaughan chapter of the Nigerian Union of Journalists, Adamson Momo, Winnie Madikizela Mandela is one woman who never counted her life to be of any worth as long as South Africa was not in a state of equal rights for all, irrespective of race, color, or creed. Taking a retrospective look at the role Winnie Mandela played in the liberation struggle, Adamson Momo says, but for her steadfastness, it would have taken much longer to achieve majority rule in South Africa with lots of the key leaders of the ANC imprisoned. A life miserable that she went through because of the belief in her husband and her husband's struggle and for the fact that she believed that the struggle of the black South Africans was justified, was worth uh, fighting for. I'm happy Duma saw the freedom of African people. She was into the struggle from the very time she got married to Mandela throughout the construction of the six-man till she was out, even when the husband used to say, go your way. She stood, they remained an amazon of the struggle of the African people in South Africa. She suffered along with every other person in South Africa 
as a leader, I believe strongly that the best of all of Africans will uh, remember the woman positively, that we are she not there. Maybe the time with which the struggle was attained would have further be delayed. Nigerian women drew lots of inspiration from Winnie Mandela's astuteness while the struggle lasted and her continued stance against anything that could put the life of any South African in danger of oppression. Aduni Messi Biodun, a renowned journalist and advocate of equal rights, says Mama Africa's Winnie is often called in Nigeria is worthy of emulation. Winnie Mandela was a, a role model for a number of us women. She showed uh, a high sense of uh, responsibility and uh, exceptional courage in the face of humiliation and uh, mistreatment in the hands of her false accusers. And because uh, she dared to call for an end to racism and apartheid, she was astute in her devotion and to the cause of freedom, activism, and motherhood. She's dead, though, but her image stands tall as a good mother, a wife, and motivator. One area which featured prominently in all the elements of the anti-apartheid struggle is the church. The African National Congress itself was born in the church in Bloemfontein, and in Nigeria, the passing away of Winnie was felt and prayers were said for the repose of her soul. Pastor Bamidele Achoya of City of God, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, says she reminds one of how women should live in the face of trial. Well, in terms of activism, it is that great support we need to endure. We need, women need to support their husbands. At whatever instance, especially when you believe in the cause of your husband, is something that um, requires strength, it's something that requires love, it's something that requires the totality of the woman when it comes to because you may be afraid that oh, if my husband dies, I become a widow. Just pray along with your husband and give the support that you need. But women should also learn to fight their cause through to the end. So it's the grace of God. So let us think through and pray for our women. Nevertheless, Winnie was a great woman. This Amazon, a devoted nationalist and a tough tug in her prime, slept in the Lord on April 4, 2018, leaving behind a bittersweet memory. Adoni Messi, Biodun says, Madikizela drank from the same cup as every other activist and she will be remembered for her devotion to freedom and a good mother. She will be remembered as a woman who stood by her husband uh, and drank from the bitter cup which uh, Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisulu and Oliver Tambo and all other anti-apartheid uh, campaigners drank from including uh, Steve Biko and the school children who were massacred in Soweto. Winnie lives on uh, as an Amazon who won the battle and the war. May her soul rest in perfect peace. Yes, perfect peace is wished for winning by Nigerians, particularly those who followed the progress of her travels closely and took note of winning's uncommon courage. The air around Soweto, particularly at her earliest residence on Villa Kazi Street, is cold. Even so, in the hearts of many Nigerians who gave of their material supports for the success of the fight which saw the end of racism. The belief among many tribes in Africa is that people like Winnie Mandela 
will not be silent even in the grave because their role as part of the ancestors is a continuation of what they believed and lived for here on earth and for the Amazon Winnie it is freedom or nothing. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengbe for Channel Africa News. My life was always determined by the political situation of the time. I led a day-to-day existence which was determined by the security grounds of the day. I was in and out of prison almost every month, if not every week. And the consequence of that was the children were always left alone. Those were perhaps the cruelest moments which have left an indelible mark in my heart. Mother of the nation See her love light shine Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Dozens of Sudanese soldiers fighting for the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen have been killed by Houthi rebels. The national chairperson of South Africa's ruling ANC, Gwere Mantashi, refutes claims that there's a plot by some in the ANC, KwaZulu-Natal province, led by former President Jacob Zuma, to unseat the current leadership of President Cyril Ramaphosa. And the United Nations... High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi, promises to find ways to address food issues facing Congolese refugees in Rwanda. Those are the stories making headlines. Zimbabwe's President Emerson Nagagwa says Zimbabwe is committed to re-engaging the United States to establish a sustainable and mutually beneficial future relationship, addressing journalists after meeting U.S. senators who had earlier conceded to the harmful effects American sanctions had on ordinary Zimbabweans. President Nagagwa said his administration welcomed constructive criticism. The U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee delegation was led by Senator Chris Coons and Jeff Flake. They met President Nagagwa at his offices in Harare yesterday. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Following some bloody land grab and alleged election fraud from year 2000, the United States government imposed sanctions in 2002 on some ZANU-PF members fingered in the human rights abuses. For years, the Zimbabwe president, Robert Mugabe, tried in vain to have the sanctions removed as the West insisted Zimbabwe was not doing enough. However, President Emerson Mnangagwa promised free, fair and credible pause in July this year, calling on the West to re-engage. As a result, last month, two U.S. senators, Jeff Flake and Chris Coons, introduced a bill that helped with the lifting of the sanctions only if Munangagwa reforms some electoral laws. 
This aims at updating the Zimbabwe Democracy and Economic Recovery Act, ZIDERA, of 2001. Although the U.S. government is happy with the progress so far, Zimbabwe should reform electoral laws ahead of polls, the visiting senator said. Senator Chris Coons made the remark Saturday following a series of meetings with political stakeholders in Zimbabwe. You know, there are democratic elections in many countries around the world. Senator Flake referenced how the African Union, um, SADC, uh, have set out expectations about what sorts of things happen in terms of voter registration, uh, in terms of non-interference by the military, uh, in terms of having a series of steps that are published and transparent and predictable about how a national election commission uh, is going to proceed with identifying polling places, with setting up procedures for tabulation. Um, a number of these have not, have not happened. They may very well happen. If there was a core message we were trying to send, it's that we're not here to dictate steps and timeline. We're here to say we are hopeful that these things will happen. The president of Zimbabwe has made very optimistic statements and commitments, uh, and we are hopeful that they will be taken promptly. But if a month and two and three goes by and there's no more steps taken along the menu that is widely accepted of what's required before or after an election for it to be credible, um, then we will be disappointed that this wonderful moment of opportunity may be missed. Senator Jeff Fleck, who serves as chairperson of the subcommittee on African Affairs, had this to say. And we are so happy to be here to listen and to learn. Uh, myself <coughs> and Senator Coons and Senator Booker and I chair the Africa uh, subcommittee. Um, and we are very interested in what's going on now. Uh, we are glad to be part of a great U.S. presence here that is only becoming larger uh, with a large embassy being constructed. Uh, our, con our engagement has never ended, but it will be heightened and extended uh, in the future. So we're very excited about free and fair and credible elections coming up. And uh, we're looking forward to meetings with the foreign minister and the president to discuss that further. Senator Coons expressed optimism and said the sanctions had unintended consequences on ordinary Zimbabweans. To be clear, there are also there are some sanctions that have been imposed and reimposed by our president, by the executive. There are others, Zadera, that have been imposed 18 years ago now by the legislative. Um, not all of these will be removed by one or the other. It's a process where both branches, main branches of the three of the American government, which don't always agree on everything, but on this uh, we agree about our optimism for democracy, but the steps that must happen before we would take a step back. While a number of reforms have been made to democratize Zimbabwe, the country has done little to ensure there will be free fair and credible elections in July, Chris Coons hinted. So um, there have been, as I mentioned, um, some very encouraging statements. Um, the president in his uh, inaugural speech, um, the editorial I referenced in an American newspaper, the New York Times, very encouraging and lay, that laid out a commitment to a whole series of actions. And some of those actions have happened, but some of the most important actions required for there to be progress towards the conditions uh, for a free and fair and credible election have not yet happened. Um, what sort of partnership might the United States uh, hope for with Zimbabwe? 
Um, we would hope to have expanded economic ties. Uh, there are already terrific relationships between um, the people of Zimbabwe and the people of the United States, many Zimbabweans educated in the United States, many Americans who've come here and had amazing experiences and had their lives changed. We would hope to expand the people-to-people relationships, relationships between companies, universities, hospitals, researchers, but also much more investment. Meanwhile, Senators Cory Booker, Michael Bennett, Gary Peters, accompanied Senators Coons and Flake to Harare. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Channel Africa listeners in East Africa, please note the change in our shortwave morning frequency as from Monday, 9 April 2018. The English broadcast from 06 hours to 07 hours Central African time in 6180 kHz to East Africa changes to 6060 kHz. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Hi, I'm Pulem Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebat, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. The United States of America's Senator in Delaware, Christopher Kuhn, says he will be making an appeal to his country's administration to reconsider its decision to impose a steel and aluminium export tariff on South Africa. In March this year, U.S. President Donald Trump signed a proclamation implementing a new policy which imposes a 25% duty on steel and 10% on aluminium imports from 12 countries, including, amongst others, Italy, Korea, Spain, Russia, South Korea and South Africa. Coons made the remarks on Friday at the conclusion of a visit to South Africa by a U.S. bipartisan five-senator delegation whose aim was to reaffirm ties between America and South Africa. Selinan Dobong reports. South Africa is waiting with bated breath for a decision on submissions it made to the U.S. administration in March to have the steel and aluminium tariff lifted. The outcome of that appeal is expected to be heard at the end of April. South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davies told members of the media last month that South Africa made a strong case and it was now up to the President of the U.S. to decide. Senator Christopher Kuhn says he supports South Africa's appeal to have the tariffs lifted. It seems to me that because um, South African steel exports are a significant percentage of your steel sector uh, but a relatively small part of our total sector uh, and because of the AGOA partnership uh, and other ways in which we hope to strengthen our country-to-country relationships, um, I will be making an appeal to our administration to seriously consider the equities. I think slapping steel tariffs on South African steel uh, is misguided. 
uh, and would, would lead to a, a chilling of what is a very important relationship. According to the South African Trade and Industry Department, the country's steel exports to the U.S. amounted to 950 million U.S. dollars in 2017 and accounted for 1.4% of the U.S. global imports, while South African aluminium exports to the U.S. amounted to 375 million U.S. dollars in 2017 and accounted for 1.6% of imports from all global suppliers. The department says it is clear that South Africa African exports do not pose a threat to U.S. industry and jobs. This, contrary to Trump's belief that the exports posed a threat to his country's national security. Kuhn's says Trump mistakenly views his country's relations with other countries narrowly in terms of trade deficits and sought to inspire confidence in what is seen as South Africa's progressively less secure position in the African Growth and Opportunity Act AGOA. South Africa benefits more than any other country on the continent, which I think is tremendous uh, and has helped support advanced manufacturing exports from this country. Um, Some, and I'll be specific, our president uh, of the United States, I think mistakenly views our relations with other countries narrowly in terms of so-called trade deficits. Um, South Africa exports more goods to the United States than the United States exports to South Africa. I think that is a narrow and cramped view. Um, In reality, um, we have strong, uh, mutually beneficial partnerships across a number of industrial sectors. Um, Speaking only for myself, I disagree um, with um, President Trump's uh, actions of threatening uh, tariffs uh, and trying to start a trade war, although I do agree um, with some of the concerns he's raised about the U.S.-China relationship Uh, in terms of intellectual property and uh, unequal basis of trade. What has also emerged as a public relations nightmare is the issue of a lack of a confirmed U.S. ambassador to South Africa and an assistant secretary. Critics view it as a disrespectful move on the part of the U.S., saying the matter is not given the priority it deserves. This is what Kuhn's had to say. One thing that is important, I think, for context, we don't have confirmed ambassadors for more than 30 countries. This is not specifically meant to be disrespectful to South Africa. South Korea, there is not even a nominee for ambassador. Germany, we do not have a confirmed ambassador. We are lacking assistant secretaries for other um, also key areas of the world. Um, This is um, a failing of the administration in the United States that we hope to work with them to correct. We do know from now personal experience that we have an excellent and talented charge d'affaires and a very strong embassy and consular presence here. Um, But we recognize that it weakens our relationship to not have a confirmed ambassador. Um, And I'll say I think all of us are committed to doing everything we can to try and resolve that as quickly as possible. The delegation's next stop at the weekend was Zimbabwe, and it is expected to wrap the trip in Burkina Faso. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Selina Ntobong. Channel Africa listeners in East Africa, please note the change in our shortwave morning frequency as from Monday, 9 April 2018. The English broadcast from 06 hours to 07 hours Central African time in 6180 kHz to East Africa changes to 6060 kHz. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
The debt of African countries, especially SADC countries such as Malawi, Zambia and Mozambique, is rising to risky levels. A new report by the International Monetary Fund has revealed. The report looks at economic developments and prospects among the world's low-income countries, which account for a fifth of the world's population, but only 4% of global output. George Mango reports from Blantyre. Initially, Malawi has a total public debt of $3.5 billion, with about a third of that in external debt. This means that Capitol Hill's appetite for borrowing is worrying many, including the International Monetary Fund, which warns that Lilongwe is at risk of being a debt distress if no swift action is taken to reverse the impact. The International Monetary Fund report looks at economic developments and prospects among the world's low-income countries, which account for a fifth of the world's population, but only 4% of global output. According to Executive Director of the Malawi Economic Justice Network, which is a local economic think tank group, there is more that these countries have to do. Ideally, no loan shouldn't be contracted. It cannot be contracted in line with our laws. You know, there is the Bank of Malawi Act also, you know, supports all of those, the Public Finance Management Act and a number of other laws, you know, talk about this. So I was challenging them that sometimes maybe you've relaxed your role as parliament. When we say parliament is at the apex of the debt management, you know, structure, who in parliament is really doing that if it's not the budget finance committee the public accounts committee or you as parliamentarian so i was saying make sure that you ask as many questions request any information at every point in time don't you know bow down to just approving because they've given you at the 11th hour and you don't have time and you simply need to approve this so people should understand that he adamantly said this when he presented the medium-term budget term review policy statement in February 2018 in Parliament that although there is huge debt, the country has not yet reached the threshold of international standard, which is a 50% of the GDP. George Mhango Blantyre. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. Efforts by the national flag carrier Rwanda Air to expand its footprint across West Africa have been boosted following the signing of new airspace agreement between governments of Rwanda and Nigeria. The agreement was signed by Rwanda's Minister for Transport, Jean de Dio Ivahanga, and Nigerian Minister in Charge of Aviation, Hadi Abubakar Serika. The agreement gives the national flag carrier, Rwanda the fifth freedom to operate in Nigeria's airspace without any limitations. Villages in northern Namibia are crashing, or rather cashing in on the limited benefits of the annual seasonal flash floods known as a funja, amid fears of the destruction that the flood wave is expected to bring. Although the Efunja is yet to fully dawn on the country, repeated good rainfalls received in the northern region and southern Angola have brought along Kapenta. Villagers frequently descend on the Onashiku village, located some 20 kilometers north of Oshakati, where they catch fresh Kapenta 
a local fresh delicacy from the water canal that is also fed by rain from southern Angola. A new report by the International Monetary Fund has revealed that the debt of African countries, especially SADC countries such as Malawi, Zambia and Mozambique, is rising to risky levels. The report looks at economic developments and prospects among the world's low-income countries, which account for a fifth of the world's population, but only 4% of global output. George Mohango reports. Initially, Malawi has a total public debt of $3.5 billion, with about a third of that in external debt. This means that Capital Hill's appetite for borrowing is worrying many, including the International Mantle Fund, which warns that Lilongwe is at risk of being a debt distress if no swift action is taken to reverse the impact. Government officials from Ghana will meet investors in Japan this week as the West African nation seeks to diversify its range of sovereign bondholders. Ghana, which exports cocoa, gold and oil plants to issue up to 2.5 billion US dollars of sovereign debt. Finance Minister Ken Oforiata has previously said he was weighing the option of issuing a yen-denominated samurai bond. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.1 to the South African rand. It's at 9.50 in Botswana and at 9.37 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 3.36 Brazilian rail, at 5.807 Russian rubble, and at 6.492 Indian rupee, and at 6.30 Chinese yuan. It's also trading at 7.0 pence to the British pound and at 8.1 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,333. Platinum 9.21 dollars an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $6.7.45 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko of Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Phil Elingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, begin with athletics. But first, Team South Africa has now picked up four gold, one silver. And four bronze medals so far at the Games in Australia, the Commonwealth Games. Le Chandler Claw has another favorite event as he will be involved in the 100-meter butterfly final later this afternoon at 13.59 South African time. Team South Africa will also be expecting another medal from the men's 100-meter final on track with both Akani Simbine and Henrico Branches managing to make the final. Simbine's main goal in 2018 is to be on the medals podium and he gets that opportunity to achieve that today. This competition is very different, you know. Um, we've never had a heat and a semi-final in one day. So it's unknown territory, but also the main factor for me is to just try to conserve as much energy as I can because I know the final is going to be a big thing. And, you know, being on this side of the world and the whole time zone, you know, you have to have all the energy you can. Energy is really low at this point. So, for 
me it's literally just to get into the final and make sure I get the job done in the final. The men's track 100-meter final is at 14.15 South African time. In the heat, Simbina recorded another sub-10, winning his heat in 9.94 seconds. But in the semifinals, he reserved himself, finishing second in 10.12 seconds. Enough for him to make the final. Yeah, I'm just trying to get through. I'm not trying to drain all my energy because I know what a fast race can take out of you. you If we run a fast race now... I'll be literally tired for tomorrow and I don't want that. Definitely, you know, I'm really confident. I'm excited for tomorrow's final. It's just a bit late, but really excited for it and, and I'm keen to go race up against great favorites. On to rugby news, the Springbok Sevens team maintained their HSBC World Rugby Sevens series late. There's a lead yesterday as the youthful squad claimed third place at the Cathay Pacific HSBC Hong Kong Sevens. The Blitzbok side, which fielded five debutants at the iconic event, won 26-7 against New Zealand to claim bronze, with Fiji securing their fourth title after beating Kenya. Their win reduced the gap between the Blitzbok and Fiji in the World Series to three points. But Springbok 7's coach Neil Powell will be delighted with the effort delivered by the squad, guided by stand-in coach Maria Skuman at the tournament. Powell is in the Gold Coast with 10 senior players where they are preparing for the Commonwealth Games Rugby Sevens. Into now football news, South Africa's premiership side, Bidvers Vets, were held to a one-all draw by Enyimba in the first leg of the Kef Confederations Cup second round tie at Bidvers Stadium in Johannesburg. The goals came early from Dane Clayt for Vets in the fourth minute and Mustafa Ibrahim equalizing in the fifth. That is where the score remained. Though Vets did see a string of chances kept out by former Orlando Paris goalkeeper Fatou Daouda, Enyimba seemed entirely capable of powering past Vets in Aba on the 17th of April. And then to Marathon, Comrades Marathon Association spokesperson Delaine Cool says more than 1,000 athletes have officially withdrawn from this year's Comrades Marathon due to take place on the 10th of June. Cool says this means there is still time for runners to participate in the iconic race by applying as a substitute entrant. Meanwhile, Provincial Sports and Recreation MEC Bongisi Tole has encouraged people in the rural areas to form athletics clubs. She says she hopes the race will entice the youth to participate in international races like the Comrades and the Nelson Mandela Marathons. But while we are doing these small races in these different cities, we want to improve the talent and tell those, those young ones, go there and, and participate. We want to see in future where people from the north of Zealand and the Midlands participating and winning the Combat Marathon. And this is the, not the only uh, international race that we have in the province. We also host Nelson Mandela uh, Marathon. We are saying that they must also participate in that race. That's just Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. South Africa's ruling ANC refutes claims of a plot to unseat President Cyril Ramaphosa. And U.S. Senate delegation concludes a visit to Zimbabwe. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. And from myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzara Magaza and Khomotomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. You can also send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. It's Brenda Fassi with a song titled Black President. Yeah, that's it.